Lord, we give you thanks for for your word and for the um, the liberation of the gospel in, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, this week I'm going to continue on with a, uh, a meager look at Romans 5. Last week, the, the theme, such, such as it was, was the idea of reconciliation, that uh, our sin has left us uh, at odds uh, with, with God and with everyone else. Um, the, 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 the biblical analogy at times is even to be at war with God, that we are in conflict uh, with God, with ourselves, with others, and that in Christ we are ultimately uh, first and foremost to God and potentially and hopefully to ourselves and everybody else we are reconciled and that um, peace has been established and that the, the, the concord has, has made its way. Uh, between us and God, and ultimately into, into our daily lives. Um, any any holdover thoughts on that? I kind of left it hanging last week, and I'm going to again this week, by the way. But um, if if I said anything that maybe maybe stuck with anybody, I, I'd welcome that. Okay. Please. As I think and even teach on sort of our being and enmity with God, especially in Romans 5, I usually think of it in a one-way part, like I'm mm-hmm. warning against him. Uh, from last week, whether implicitly or explicitly, and you sort of brought it in there, he's at war against us, too. He's right. like actively arraying his resources against me just as I'm sort of engaging him. It's very much a two-way right. sort of conflict. And I usually don't think of it in that way. That was it's kind of stuck with me this week. It was, it was really helpful. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad it was. And Two weeks class, and that's, that's, a, that's a big walkout for me. I think that's tricky because, you, you know, pastorally, I mean, there are a lot of problems with suggesting God is ticked off. And so I, I think it's almost a word that is more meaningful to Christians than it is to non-Christians. But once you once you have it, I think it... It can linger around in, in some sort of meaningful sense. Yeah, yeah it, it sets up the good news for me. Right. I mean, to think of God's wrath as being active, um, except for except for the propitiation, the guilt right. of, uh, of Him satisfying His own wrath. Uh, I mean, but for that, toast. I refer to her so often, but Flannery O'Connor was famously quoted. I think I think it was in a letter, or it maybe even been in a conversation over dinner with somebody, where she said, and coming from a Roman Catholic perspective, that if communion is merely symbolic, then she said, "To hell with it." And <laughs> I, right, and and I, obviously, as as a as a devout Protestant, I, I wouldn't take her position in terms of the. Um, 
you know, salvation bestowed literally vis-a-vis communion. And yet, if the blood doesn't accomplish something, then we just were another option on the shelf of, you know, yuppie therapeutic culture, um, which is which is a great temptation, but it, it's got to mean something, something in there. I'm about I'm about to deviate away from that because in our daily lives, I don't think the wrath of God is something we we kind of deal with when we're you, know, you check your your bank account online or you're you know planning on dealing with you know where do you go with the holidays and who do you buy a gift for and just all your day-to-day stuff. I don't think God's wrath is really right front and center, which is which is why I think it's easy to kind of walk away from that. Um, but on the other hand, it's it's obviously kind of lurking underneath. Anything else? Yeah. Please. I was not here last week. Uh, you're forgiven. It's interesting. It says, uh, I think, you know, verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those, even over those who did not sin by breaking commands. And that's a little bit different than the way we see it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, well, I know the guilt did not sin, so he's okay. I mean, even though death did not, even though he did not sin, death still reigns over him. And that's different, um, a different theory than I have of sin as a condition. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of funny that that little yeah, phrase is in there. It's a strange way of thinking. I'm not sure if that's anywhere else. If it's like in the, does the Old Testament so talk about those who are without sin? Is that a distinction between sinful acts and sinful nature? I would imagine so. That, that, that would be my hunch, is that he's making that distinction between nature and action. Well, there was no law, so to speak. I mean, the law hadn't been given yet. Right. Adam came. Oh, and, uh, and so it was <coughs> 680 years before Moses came with the Ten Commandments. And so the idea is uh, how could you be held? How could. Cain be held liable for his actions because nobody ever said, don't murder your brother you know, because there was no law. He's saying, obviously, that's he's saying that implicitly that's, that's not true. And he also dealt with that earlier in Romans where uh, the, the law written on men's hearts um, right. even before Moses all were under condemnation. So, yeah. so without sin, it's because the law had been given but he kind of dismisses that argument No, but that, no, that's exactly that's exactly right, and, uh, I, and I'm often much more comfortable moderating a discussion than I am <laughs> giving a lecture. Um, and, and I just I kind of flipped over on the, the app here on my phone. Um, there's a reference to Hosea 7, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me, and obviously that that gets into some other stuff specific to Hosea. But you know, point being that there was a the vile, and, and Paul, this is what Paul's going to get at in from Romans 12 um, through the end of the chapter. But once Adam violated God's command in, in the garden, law or no law in terms of the official you know, dictation there to Israel, the, the horse was out of the barn at that point, so to speak. And, 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 we can, you know, and Paul can, can get, get into the, the nooks and crannies of what it meant you know, in terms of the legality of, of, of justification. Um, and obviously, volumes have been written about, about that, and, and correctly so. But but it, you know, once Adam did his thing, I mean, 
that was, and, and that's what Paul, I think that's Paul's point, is that, um, and I think he's, you know, he's getting it. I think that's where the idea of sin as condition really starts to kind of get underneath sin as just actions, because, um, because yeah, I mean, if, if sin is simply actions, then there remains, and I'm, I'm going to say more about this in a minute, there remains the faint hope that we don't do those actions. And, and I think it's a two-way street. I mean, I think, I think you can look at sin as a condition and, and potentially just kind of throw up your hands and, and, again, turn the gospel into some kind of therapy where it's like, well, it's just who I am. And I think there's a, there's a place where, where, where and we don't do this here, um, and, and, and other, other people kind of have the similar theological bent, I don't think fall into that trap. And I think it's, you know, to use a football analogy, it's threading a needle very, very carefully. Um, and kind of getting the ball in a place where, where you, you don't think it's going to quite go. But if you simply just say it's a condition, then I think you really run the risk of what the, and, and look, I'm, I'm the last person in the world. My, my wife can, can wave her hands and say amen on this. I'm the last person in the world to talk about discipleship and holiness and righteousness. Because I, I mean, and I'll be honest, I, I see that on a blog post or hear somebody talk about it, and it's just like Charlie Brown's teachers talking. Um, because I know those things become kind of things that we bludgeon people with, and I'm not really interested in that. On the other hand, if we just say, say sin is condition alone, then I think I think it's just, you've got to kind of have both a little, you know, to one extent or the other. And I, um, I'm going to always veer on the side of sin as a condition, um, and I, th- I think that's what, what Paul does. But you know, if I get mad and Say something, you know, rude to a security guard when he tells me I can't take my bottle of water out of the concert, um, which may or may not have happened numerous times. <laughs> I actually committed a sin specifically, and so you know, when we when we confess in the liturgy the, the thoughts, words, and deeds, there were a lot of thoughts and a lot of words, you know, when when that when those sorts of things happen. Um, and I've never, I mean, a bottle of water that I pay four dollars for, why can't I take it out at the concert? Um, so frustrating. Um, Anyway, uh, I'm going to read Romans. I read the whole chapter last week. I'm going to just read chapter 5, 12 through the end of the chapter because it is kind of long. This is where the focus is. So, starting verse 12 and just reading from the ESV, there's the, you know, the, there's a little heading there, and it points out death in Adam, life in Christ, which is a pretty good summation of where we can go with this. Starting with verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. That is a lot to say in three verses, by the way. 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. 
Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as, in, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, that's one of those. I mean, you're a legal scholar. That's one of those. That's one of those areas where, and I hate to ever attribute bias because I think that's that's getting into some dangerous territory. Because once you and once you left that out of the barn, it never really goes back in. But I know this translation of the ESV was done by people of a very reformed bent, and I know there would be a, a desire to emphasize that. Then again, I, I mean that's where I've kind of put my tent theologically, so I'm I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Um, no, I'm good with it. I was just noticing. Yeah, it, but it, but it, 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 I think it's I think it is important to note that because there there is, it, it leads to a greater emphasis. I think it's interesting. Paul says sin is not counted where there is no law, and yet then he turns around and said, "Yet death reigned, even over those who sinning was not like the transgression of Adam." which suggests that whether there is the law, capital L, as was given to Moses or not, we're all on the hook. And the consequences of sin are present with or without that. So what does the curse mean? Something that you cannot bring on yourself as an outside. Right. And this is where, where Luther's idea of imputation starts to, to work its way in here because you know, he talked of imputation as this idea of something that is attributed to you through no work or action of your own, through no, um, no doing. And, and it really works negatively and positively where sin is imputed through Adam, where it becomes part of our, it's now part of our DNA. And it's it's not it, it is it is it, it, at this point we, we do start to think of it as a condition. Yes, there are specific actions for which we need to repent, and perhaps work towards not doing. On the other hand, the idea that sin will be erased is that idea is off the table at this point because and, and I I think the word curse and, and, and Paul uses it here and there and, and obviously you know, joy to the world is, is kind of the famous example in our hymnody of where where that word comes in. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. Um, I think that's something that, and I'm not, uh, with the exception of, of things like Lord of the Rings, I'm not much into fantasy, but I think uh, the, the Lord of the, the Tolkien works, um, C.S. Lewis and, and his work, and even Harry Potter, do a really, really good job of, of emphasizing that some kind of evil has entered. Now, the idea of it being defeated or not defeated, obviously, you know, it's fiction, so you, you can't expect a perfect analogy. But the idea that, that something has entered the world and everybody, whether they maybe initially participated in it or not, is now is now on the hook for its existence uh, and has to suffer the consequences for it is, I think, is, is significant. And I think there's, that's a good image to kind of keep with you. And uh, on, that, on that point, you know, I heard it once said that when you, you can look at sin and say it's not our fault, but it is our fault all at the same time. 
where where there's um, speaking when we talked a lot about the, the Catholic angle, I actually got that from a Catholic theologian, but all of that is, is just something we're kind of having to deal with here. Um, and it, it's a sense of almost negative imputation, um, where the sin has been imputed. But it too, and, and Luther's going to go on to refer to passive righteousness, which is the righteousness of God that is given to us, again, passively on our part, because there's nothing we can do to, to attain it. The, the sin is almost done in the same way. Um, you know, I, we, today is actually our daughter's birthday, and she didn't do anything to uh, you know, get her sin tattoo. She just is sinful, you know, um, you know it, I, and I don't know how that works out now, but, you know, when she laughs and hits her mother in the face, uh, which she, you know, she's taken to doing is like, you know, slapping us and thinks that's so funny. Um, I, I guess, I don't know, is, is that sin? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Well, then she, that, that means she's aware, that means she's aware of her sin. Um, she knows it hurts. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that you know, how that actually works. Um, and yeah, the, I think the the the, the reality. Um, one of my favorite rock bands had an album, "Good News for People Who Love Bad News," um, and Mockingbird has a Bible study with similar similar play on words. Um, the good news of sin is our condition. Again, it removes the possibility that there's that we could somehow claw our way out of the pit, that we could through hard work and belief and, and through a lot of you know, effort that we could somehow negate the consequences of our sin. Um, and and, and the, to, I think that's ultimately good news. Um, and that was the great error of the medieval church prior to the Reformation, and, and, and not, to, again, not to throw our Catholic friends under the bus, but the, it was for all that talk of, of penance and suffering in the medieval church, it was ultimately a low view of sin that held that, you know, monastic piety, being a monk or a nun or a priest or uh, a lay person in the village who, um, you know, kind of suffered through six days a week, but but did everything else in hopes of achieving heaven. But that ultimately would avail you of something that, you know, that that ultimately is 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 a false hope. Um, and as difficult as it looks, as hard as the work seemed to be, and 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 that's still alive today, and it, it's, it's very much alive within, with, and we all know this within, uh, it's something that's in all of our own hearts, but within Protestantism and evangelicalism specifically, the idea that there is something we can do that uh, alleviates our own condition. Now there is something obviously we could do, perhaps to alleviate the poverty of our neighbor, or homelessness in our city. I mean th- these things are real, and we we know that, and. And there's a mountain of empirical evidence to suggest there are small temporary problems that we can solve um, through through a number of different means. But the idea that we ourselves can progressively get better, um, I think I think Paul, I, I just don't think Paul suggests that. And in Paul's own testimony, when he's sitting at the end of his life saying, I'm the chief of sinners, if Paul had somehow gotten better, I, think, I don't know that he would have said that. Um, either that or he's just blowing smoke, um, which, I mean, what good is it in that case if we can look at it and say, well, he's just... That's coach speak, you know. That's you know um, when, when a coach comes out at the end of the game, and, and I'm not referencing yesterday's um, excruciating four hours uh, for Alabama fans. But, you know, a coach often comes out of the game, and, and and this is something you know, especially a lot of coaches of an older generation would do. Um, unfortunately, a lot of coaches don't do this today, but they'll they'll completely take the blame for a loss when clearly it was the fault of a player who just really did something, maybe just one time that they shouldn't have done. You know, and, and we, we, we appreciate it. And it, in fact, it's an act of grace to cover for that 19-year-old kid who did something dumb. 
Um, but I, I would, frankly, I'm glad that we can trust that Paul is actually saying um, what exactly he means. He's, you know, there, there's kind of that cowboy nature to it where he is completely shooting straight, and we can we can trust that. So in, in that sense, you know, Paul's going to tell us that, look, I'm I'm not getting better in, in that in, in this sense, and and on the other hand, we know that maybe okay, you know, maybe we're less angry than we used to be, but there's some there's some other weed that's popped up in the garden, uh, and and I think we're only we're only fooling ourselves in that case. Um, Right. Yeah, no, that's, wow, thanks. That's, that's, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, he's, he stopped stoning people. I think that counts for something. I mean, clearly there, there might be some kind of physical, empirical evidence of sanctification. On the other hand, the internal nature of sin is going, you know, where the, where the Holy Spirit is at work and, and, you know, and, and, and speaking, speaking to us and, and the law of God in, in that sense is still present where we know, yeah, I've, I've stopped on this, but there, there's something else that's that's come into the mix, you know. And it's like you're trying to keep the house clean, you know. Well, I dusted the bookshelf, and then oh, look at the kitchen, and and that's never going to to never going to go away, um, you know. The uh, this is where I, where I, I love the fact that we 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 are a hymn singing church because I, all of our older hymns do such a good job of emphasizing this notion of of sin that um, again helps us avoid therapeutic Christianity, um, which is kind of one of my one of my whipping boys, but um, it, it keeps us focused on on sin as, as as our condition. But but Paul really quickly after setting this up, I mean, he turns around and he flips it on his head. And he said, "Look, sin enters the world through one person, and because of that one person's sin, we all die." Uh, but then he flips flips Adam around and gives us Jesus and says, "Okay, here we have instead of a sinful man, we have a sinless man." And it is, in fact, his death that gives us life. And he, com- he completely flips us on his head. And we live in a cynical age where, where you know, and I, and I teach, teach ninth and 10th graders, and they love noting these little inversions. Like, oh, isn't it interesting that this thing happened, and then you flip it over, and this other thing happened. And it's easy to say, yep, that's cute. But on, this is, I think this is a little bit more significant than that. Um, and that, 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 that all the pieces really start to, to fit here, that this is more than just kind of an aha moment, isn't that nice? But that the same way in which we are condemned is, is the same way we are made whole, um, with a couple of, a couple of obviously key distinctions, that um, where, where sin enters the picture, it also leaves through the, um, through the action. You know, it was one action that, that, that slayed us, and it's one action that makes us alive. And disobedience is cured by obedience. Um, that that we were we were all of us put on the hook and indeed marked by that sin the the, the crimson stain uh, as one him referred to it uh, in in Adam but in Christ all of us who are in him are are made alive. Well, Paul, is there any any anything thought provoking? I think of it a little bit like this, and this, again, this is an imperfect analogy, but I'll, I'll roll with it. If I were to, and I, I'm a school teacher for those of you who don't know that, if I, if I were to punish a class, it, I would never punish a class for the actions of one person. I would just take, talk to that one person and we'd work out some arrangement that actually probably wouldn't punish them and they wouldn't care and, 
<laughs> that's another that's another topic. But hypothetically, let's say you know you, you've been been dealing with a, a rough class that's just a little over eager. You know, it's it's the end of the day on a Friday or the day before Thanksgiving, and, and but but things have gotten out of the hand out of hand to the point where you have to throw the hammer down, and you have that one person, and their action is essentially the straw that breaks the camel's back, and say, okay, something's going to happen here, and and it may be that we're two minutes late going to lunch, and you know, a bunch of ravenous 10th graders, that's punishment for them. You know, two minutes late in the lunch line, that's serious business. Or maybe we were watching some sort of, of, of short video or doing some sort of activity that qualified as slightly more fun than what we normally do, and we cut that off. What that would do is, and this is, I think, how we can start to see the effect of sin, what it would do is it would engender within every person in that room something bad. Guilt, because maybe they were... Maybe, maybe they weren't the person that got caught, but they were the people who set the environment up. Anger towards the person who did get caught. Frustration. Something. Nobody would walk out of there completely indifferent. Right? And, and that's where we find ourselves in, in a simple condition. Um, because sometimes sin often looks like tragedy, I think. Um, Frank mentioned in his, his column in the newsletter the other day about Job. I don't know if you all read that. Um, he pointed out that Job's ultimate action before God in the midst of everything that we would look at as tragedy, well, finally what Job does, he actually repents. And he knows that at the root of this is, is ultimately going to be his sin. Now, it's not his sin that killed his family. But yet, confronted with a holy God, that, that's where he sort of ends up. On the other hand, when, a, when the reprieve is granted, you know, if, if I were to say to the class, all right, let's just forget this ever happened. At least for a moment, at least for a moment, there's going to be a sense of gratitude. Okay, and, and not necessarily to me. What if, you know, kind of in the, the, the uh, losing, my, losing my analogy here, and that's okay, it probably wasn't very good. But let, let's say I, I just kind of throw out an opportunity for somebody to kind of redeem the situation, and they do. That one person, for a brief moment, what, is, what that person is going to engender from everybody else in the room is gratitude, humility, love, thanks. And, and so, again, that's not going to last in, term, in terms of us being human because, again, of our, of our sinful nature. But in that moment, it is going to, to engender some sort of thanks, thanks and love. Um, I think Paul gets into that a little bit in, in verse 16. Where Adam's sin brought us all under condemnation, obviously first and foremost before God, but then secondarily condemnation um, from others, from ourselves. Um, there's always that looming sense of condemnation under everything we do that I've not achieved enough, I've not accomplished enough, I've not made enough, I've not spent enough time with my kids, that meal could have been better, I didn't get a good enough present, I could have done more, 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 more. I mean, I so said we, we've got a one-year-old daughter, and we're, I mean, a one-year-old who's not going to remember this birthday party we threw for last week, and we're thinking, was this good enough? I mean, did, should, should we have made better cupcakes? No, and my wife made great cupcakes. They were wonderful. Um, we can send you pictures. Um, you know, but we, we, stre- I mean, we stress on this, you know, both of us. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dumping that on Lori, but, you know, have we done enough for our children? You know, and, and all that is, in fact, a, a sense of condemnation. Um, and I think we're, and there's that dual nature there where we are condemned by that, but we are also a little bit perhaps sinful in our own hearts there that we are finding some sort of satisfaction in the birthday party we threw for our kids. When, in fact, since Christ, it is Christ who's justified us, that's where our ultimate satisfaction comes. We're not justified by the birthday party we threw for our kids. Um, we, we, we talk all the time between the two of us 
I mean, this, this has come up, come, come up, come up um, in, in classes here at the Advent, the, the self-justifying nature of social media, um, where, you know, we, we said the other day, we, we talked about wanting to go somewhere and do something outdoors, and we've got, you know, a one-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old, and doing something outdoorsy with kids that age is not easy. You really can't take a three-year-old to Ruffner Mountain unless you want them to end up missing. Um, so we're, we're trying to figure out how, how to make this happen. And I said, you know, really what this is, is I just want a cool Instagram photo uh, or a Facebook photo of us kind of standing by some water. Or, you know, <laughs> look, here are my L.L. Bean shoes, and they've got mud on them. Look at this awesome picture. Um, see how authentic I am. Um, and, and we were kind of joking about that. We said we do actually want some nice pictures of ourselves and, you know, the kids out, you know, running in the woods to put on the wall just for ourselves to look at. Um, but this, I mean, this is, this is true. And, and so... You know that anxiety we feel. I, I can't help, and I don't want to. I don't want to again pour pour salt on. But I, th- I feel like there's a little bit just in my in my own life. There is a little bit of sinfulness there for, for thinking that I need that. That that is somehow something I have to have. Um, now, and I think there's a way you can kind of work through that and still. I hate to say have your cake and eat it too, but I think there's a way you can can do that and just say, look, I just want to picture my kids. You know, I want a picture of of, of myself with and, and my wife or. I just, I just want to you know, go to the mountains for a week and, and kind of run through the woods and, and jump on water. I mean, you can do that, and, and I don't want to dismiss any of that stuff, nor do I mean to throw under the bus everybody who takes cool Facebook photos. Um, but on the other hand, I think there's a little bit of those two things kind of, kind of juggling together because those things are ultimately dead ends. Because somebody takes a cooler photo than you do. Um, somebody else is going to, I mean, you know, your football team's going to lose. You know, and, and, and I don't want to be self-righteous. I mean, th- that thought occurred to me last night. And frankly, it, it occurred to me about midway through the first quarter of the Alabama game yesterday. Sooner or later, this, this is over with. It's not going to last. And um, while I think it's perfectly fine to be indeed fanatical, I, one of my pet peeves is people like, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, and you can fill in the blank, Alabama, Auburn, it doesn't matter. I'm a fan of such and such school, but I'm not like my crazy brother-in-law. And I'm probably the crazy brother-in-law. Um, you know, I'm not like dot 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 dot, which is a, which is either one of two things. It's either speaking of justification, I think it's either a need to say, really, I like football too. You don't have to think of me as weird, or it's a desire to say, no, I'm really crazy, but please don't think I'm crazy. Um, be crazy, I think that's fine. Uh, but you know, it, I was I was, and again, I really, this sounds really sanctimonious on me too. I was a little bit grateful to think yesterday. It's like, you know what? There are a million other things I can do with my time, and a million other ways I can find satisfaction. And and maybe just maybe this is this is some sense of you know, find some other way to to, to find meaning in your life besides your football team. Uh, maybe and probably not. I'm gonna go home and stew over this a little bit longer. But I think there's something there, just a, just a little bit. Um, that 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 that, ju- that justification is ultimately in Jesus because in defeating sin, there's there's absolutely um, we are absolutely okay before God. Um, you know that that justification ended any kind of condemnation that we that we experience. Um, and so when it comes to all those things in our own lives, the uh, is, is time getting away from us that quickly? Yeah, it is. Okay, I'll, I'll try to wrap up. Wow, I'm sorry, I rambled. Um, I think the final word here is, is simply, though, that, and not to dwell too much on our own sin, but to know that in the death of Christ, sin itself has been put to death. That from the long view, we are 
white as snow before the Father. And there are a lot of moments, a lot of moments each day where sometimes that doesn't feel like it's enough. But the truth is that is enough. And that in the times when it doesn't feel like enough, we can perhaps even repent of not believing that it's enough. And all of the things that we do, that I do, and I'm completely on the hook for this, whether it is finding meaning in an election, in a football game, in a Facebook photo, in a birthday party for our children. And I think there's a lot of that weight that comes, you know, looking, looking at the holidays right on the, on the brink. Whether it's finding fulfillment in that, what we can find is that all those things suddenly take on new and better meaning when we don't find fulfillment in that. I found it curious this week, and, and I'll just be honest, my guy didn't win Tuesday night, and I'm okay with that, I really am. What I found in, encouraging was that people on that side of the aisle who dealt with it the best were the people who actually make a career out of it. And I, I think there's some kind of inverted truth in that, in that they don't have to live and die by that because it, it's not something that just pops up all of a sudden and they didn't find their meaning in it. Because in a certain sense, they're true believers, whether left or right, whether it's your year or not, you know, not your year. You're kind of okay with that because you just get back up and you go to work the next day. And they weren't, there, there's, there's, I think there's something there, and that's, that's going to, I hate to leave with an imperfect analogy, but the, I think the final word there, and this is, this is where Paul is, is, is just fantastic. We're, we're clear before God. There, there really and truly is no condemnation. Um, Robert Capon said, you know, we, we're getting all scot-free here. And if we don't believe that, that's when we need to, to, to run back, run back to the cross and, and see that, no, it's, you know, your, your sins are whiter than snow. And because of that, we can, we, we're, every, every bit of condemnation we feel day to day, we can give up that and, um, and trust in God's love, which incidentally is, is a much more powerful motivator for everything we want to accomplish than, than any sense of, of, of anxiety or, or guilt. Any, anything to wrap up? I know that kind of trailed off there at the end. No, it's absolutely right. And when you say we all develop false idols, uh, I had an Alabama moment back in like the 90s, like a year or two after they lost, they won the national championship. Mm-hmm. And I had a tough year as a medical school, I think, or a resident champion. And it was just a tough year. I'm like, great, Alabama's doing great, Alabama's doing great, and then lost. And I was empty. I was just, I had nothing left. Right. And that was the first time I realized I was never going to follow Alabama as an emotional false idol. Right. Uh, and elections are the other thing. Yeah. You just have to, you know, if you lost this time or if you lost the you know, previous time, you think that's a horrible word that feels awful. Right. But that doesn't mean that Christ failed. Right. 9-11 does not mean that Christ failed. Right. Um, if whatever happens, that doesn't mean that it's over. So right. Right. Yeah. I'll close with this, um, keeping with the political theme. Um, I, I, I wanted to say it was Justice Scalia has often used the phrase, which which has been around a while, "Do not eminentize the eschaton," uh, which is don't don't try to have heaven on earth. Um, and, and we can we can parse. Don't try to have heaven on earth. Um, 
And, and that's, a, that's a phrase that sticks with me in that whatever the thing is here and now, whether it's my job or my football team or uh, my political persuasions, all of which are things that are frankly deeply important to me, um, they, can't, they cannot replace the joy that is to come, the hope that we have um, in Christ, which is ultimately, that, that's his ultimate accomplishment. Thanks, y'all. I believe it's pronounced eminatized the eschaton. Um, bring, bring heaven to earth. Yeah, there was a um, there was a political philosopher, um, Eric Vogelin, Voglin, taught at LSU in the 40s and 50s, and that was one of his one of his hobby horses. Um, and so, in in kind of in right leaning political thought, that phrase has popped up a good bit. Um, but yeah, and that, I mean that was the great sin of of Marx—the idea that we could, especially through force of will, have have heaven on earth. Um, so for, for yeah, Ronson Paul's all talking about um, low anthropology and high soteriology. Right. The, the, the inversion of that is the elevation of man at, at God's expense. Right. Which is short-term disappointing and long-term disastrous. <laughs> Because I mean, in the long in the long view, that's where you get. I mean, that's where you get Stalin and Mao. In the short term, that's where you get that crushing feeling when your football team loses, right. or you burn dinner. You know. <laughs> so, I'll close with prayer. If that's all right. Father, we give you thanks that in, in the midst of our imperfections, that you have offered to us and given to us through through no work of our own the perfect uh, uh, gift and satisfaction of your Son in Jesus' name. Amen.